The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Take your Bibles, please, the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at the last of Paul's request in verse 19, and then next week we'll look at the, the little benediction, 20 and 21, and then we'll move into chapter 4 and the practical section of the, the book. I'm going to read for you the prayer beginning at verse 14 of chapter 3 down to verse 21, and then we'll pray and then we'll begin. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Father, we come before you again as a people gathered for worship. And Father, we thank you for the sweet memory we had of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the reminder, the reality that he has done all things well. That he gave his precious lifeblood, he gave his body to be beaten and flogged and nailed to a cross that we might have life, that we might be set free. Father, it is our desire not just to know Christ from a distance, to have a passing casual relationship with him. It is our desire, O God, that we might know him deeply and intimately, a knowledge that surpasses understanding. And Father, we know that it is only possible by a work of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we would join with Paul in his prayer, and we would ask, O God, that you would grant us strength with power through your Spirit in our inner person, our inner person, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, and that being rooted and grounded in love, we may be able to comprehend, to have the strength, O God, to grasp something of the immensity of the love of Christ. But beyond all that, Father, we ask this morning that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Father, it is our desire to walk out of this room, this place, this morning changed, not the same as when we came in, 
We pray, O God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would do a work in us. We plead with you, Father, that you would meet with us at this hour and you would speak to us through the Word of God, through the preaching of the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in every person's heart and life this morning. Father, we pray that you would drive away the distractions, jobs and health and finances and relationships and all that other stuff that the enemy can so quickly use to hinder us from hearing what you would have to say to us. Father, we plead. We ask, O oh God, that you would speak, that we would hear in the depths of our souls the words of God as the oracles of God, that, Father, we would hear with ears to hear and understand and learn and obey and submit, but, Father, also to live lives of worship before you. We ask you these things, O God, and we plead with you for help. In Jesus' name, amen. You become like the people that you spend time with. Uh, the name Dave Evanson means nothing to anybody in the room except for uh, Hev and I. He was a young man that used to hang around. He and I hung around together as youths. And uh, the church that we, go, we went to then used to call us the rebels without a clue. Not rebels without a cause, rebels without a clue. Uh, we were forever getting each other into trouble. My father was convinced that Dave led me astray, and I'm pretty sure that Dave's parents were equally convinced that I led Dave astray. The reality is that put us together, it's like uh, dynamite and petrol and a match and just throw it in a pile and see what happens. We were always getting into trouble together. I could go on for hours of some of the funny and not-so-funny stories of things we did. A little later in life, after I was married, um, I spent some time with another man, a far different person, much older. His name, to me, is Uncle Jack. Uh, you might have heard me mention him once in a while. Uncle Jack was a godly man. He is a godly man. From Uncle Jack, I learned how to study the Word of God. He would invite me to his office, and he would put piles of books on the desk and say, Nelson, you need tools in your toolbox. He'd push whole sets of commentaries and dictionaries and, and other tools to use to study the Word of God. But from Uncle Jack, I didn't just learn how to study technically the Word of God. I learned to love the Word of God. And even beyond that, I learned to love the God of the Word. You become like the people you hang around with. I wouldn't dare say I'm all that like Uncle Jack any now or yet. Maybe one day I hope to be like him. He's a man who would get up in the middle of the night, go into his study, get down on his knees by his chair, and spend two hours in prayer with the Lord. He says, I get up and the tears are just running down my face. He knows the Lord. We become like the people we hang around with. This last phrase in verse 19, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This is the height of Paul's prayer. This is the Everest summit of our experience of God in this life, being filled up to all the fullness of God. In a sense, it's like we've been climbing the mountain for the last couple of months as we've worked our way slowly through this prayer. And each major section of the prayer is like a step higher and a higher peak and a higher peak. And finally, we're pulling ourselves up onto the very top today. And it's this phrase here, 
to be filled up to all the fullness of God. In a sense, each step in the prayer is necessary to climb the next. Being strengthened with power in the inner man, knowing Christ by faith, grasping and knowing the immensity of Christ's love, so that the very top point we may be filled up with respect to all the fullness of God. We've been talking about prayer. I've been giving you as much information and encouragement. We had a week of prayer, not this last week, but the one before. A wonderful time we got together to pray for each other. Of all the things that we might be in prayer for, for each other, what greater request could we make for each other and ourselves is that God would continue His work of making us more like Christ of filling us up to all the fullness of God. Get an outline in your little uh, note sheet there inside your bulletin. I think it's uh, green this week, I think. Is it? Yeah, I see some green paper. There we go. So it's a green one this week. The outline there is this. What is the fullness of God that Paul is talking about? We'll spend most of our time on that one. Secondly, how are we being filled up to the fullness of God? And thirdly, why? Why must we be filled up to the fullness of God? Why can't we just live this Christian life with a distant relationship between us and Christ? Why must it be an intimate, deep, burning knowledge of Christ? Why must we be filled up to all the fullness of Christ? So we're going to look at these three questions. So first of all, what is the fullness of God? In terms of a Greek dictionary, the idea of the fullness there means completion, the entirety, the full number, the full measure, the totality of something. And the meaning in the sense and the context of the verse is this, the fullness of God is the completeness of God. It quite literally, and it sounds a little simple, is the fullness of God is that which fills God. But the problem is that God is not a complex being. You can't take pieces of God and separate them out and make parts of God that fit together. God is simple. He is one. So we would say it like this. The fullness of God are the attributes or properties by which we may describe God. I'll give you an illustration. I couldn't find this at home to bring and show you, but uh, imagine a cube of steel, a solid piece of undividable steel in a cube shape, small like this. Now you could say, well, you can divide it. You get a saw or a torch and you can cut it in half. So yes, you can divide like that. But imagine a piece of steel that naturally by itself, as you pick it up and hold it, it's individable. Now that piece of steel has properties or ways in which we can describe it. We could say, for example, that it has smooth corners, uh, sorry, smooth edge, smooth sides is the word I'm looking for, sharp corners, it has hard surfaces, it's heavy in weight, it's got a weight to it, it's metallic or silver gray in color. It is equal length on all its dimensions and each surface area of each side is all the same. And I'm still describing one block of steel, but it has all these properties, all these attributes by which we understand and know what that block of steel is like. Well, God is the same. God is one. He is a simple being. He's indivisible. Yes, He is one God in three persons. We understand that as best we're able to. But He has properties. So when Paul says that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, 
He's speaking about the attributes or the properties of God, that which fills God, that which makes God what he is. Okay? Now, those properties can be seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Colossians 1.19, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says this, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made full or complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Paul is praying in this verse that we be filled up with respect to all the fullness of God's. Now, theologians divide the properties or the attributes of God into two basic groups. Okay, There is some that are shareable, and there are some that are not shareable. There are some attributes of God that we cannot be filled up with because, very simply, we're human and He's God, and there is some difference there. Okay, They can't share those things. You say, what example would that be? I'll give you a couple of examples of non-shareable attributes. These are things about God that we can understand with our minds, and we may be able to see one day when we see him face to face, we can comprehend to a certain degree, but we will never share these attributes. Okay, Number one, God is self-existent. He exists entirely in and of himself. He needs no outside support. A famous story by the Russian cosmonaut up in space. Well, here I am in space, and I don't see God anywhere. I thought to myself, yeah, take off your suit, unhook your oxygen supply and your water supply, and trust me, you will see God in, in a split second. Because, you see, we need support, don't we? We need air and food and water, and we need all this different environment around us in order to survive and exist. But God is self-existent. He doesn't need those things. God is immutable. He is un changing. Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says in God's own words, I, the Lord, change not. But we, <laughs> we're different, right? We're always changing. We're growing. We're getting older, older and older, it seems these days. And it seems that the older you get, the faster you get older, and the faster you get older, the older you get. And you just, I'm discovering once you hit 45, it's sort of over the hill. And no, I'm not. <laughs> I know everybody here is over 45, so it's a bit different. But sometimes it seems like you just get older faster and faster, doesn't it? When you're growing up, it seems like you'll never reach 16 to get a learner's license. And then once you get the learner's license, you're never going to reach the age where you can actually be fully licensed. But as soon as you hit 45, man, down it goes, right? We are constantly changing. God is immutable. He will not, does not, he cannot change. God is infinite. He is free from all limitations. If you wanted one word to describe God in the best way possible, you could say God is free. Absolutely free. There are no limitations or constraints on God at all. You and I are limited, constrained, and confined. We're limited in strength. We're limited in size. We're limited in uh, abilities and knowledge. But God is infinite. He is unlim He's without limitations. Now those are just some of the non-shareable properties of God. So obviously, we cannot be filled with all of God's fullness because there are some things that make up God that we cannot be, we cannot have. The infinite 
cannot be contained by the finite. We're finite. He's infinite. Okay? So there's some properties, some of the fullnesses, which is a bad way to say it, of God cannot be shared between us and him. So the best way to understand that text, the best translation, I have to say it, it's the NASB, which I use. It's that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Some versions put the word with. It's not the best translation. It really should be two. And what it means is we are being filled up, is drawn from the properties of God that are shareable, not the unshareable properties. So Paul is praying for us that we may be filled up from all the shareable properties of God. And just stop for a second and consider that. The things that describe God... The shareable things, he is filling us up with them. If that doesn't knock you off your feet and make you just your head spin for a while, I ask you to go back and think about it again. This is why Martin Lloyd-Jones would say this is the absolute pinnacle of the Christian experience. We are not just in a relationship where he is completely different from me and I understand something of him and we can relate back and forth in prayer and through the word, but we'll always be completely different. Our relationship with us, with the living God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit means that we are being changed. He is not just making us like him. He's giving us those properties that describe him are starting to describe us too. We are being made more and more like Christ. We are being transformed, changed from the inside out to be just like Christ. Now then, he says that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Sorry, Here's where it gets a bit interesting. Okay, In the book of John, chapter 1 and verse 16, the Bible says this, For of his, that's Christ's, fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. The sense is we've received it from the measure of his fullness. We have. Past tense, completed action. The Bible also says in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, And in him you have been made complete. What's that mean? Well, you're saying we are being filled or we are filled? And my answer is yes. We are being filled and we are already filled. You say, how in the world does that work? Theologians love to use phrases that just make your head spin. This is one of them. It's called the already but not yet. Something is already in place, but it's not there yet. You say, how does that work? And I was trying to think all week about how I'd give you an illustration that would sort of somehow capture this idea. Imagine a design for a brand new car. I saw on TV the other day a 1963 Corvette Stingray, probably one of the most beautiful cars ever built in America. Not maybe Europe, but certainly in America. Beautiful car. It's got beauty. It's got power. It's got speed. It's got comfort. That car was designed... Some designers got out and they got big crayons and they drew the design up on the board. The engineers came in, did all their calculations and measurements, and they completed a design for this beautiful car. And they got some clay and they made a model and the clay makers, the model makers took clay and they shaped this body of the car so everybody could see, wow, how beautiful this thing was. 
And the makers of the car happened to be General Motors, and Chevrolet said, yes, we approve of this design. Yes, we approve the budget. Go ahead and begin making that car. That design, they would say, see that design? That's our new car. That there completed is our new car. Well, it's not a car yet. It's just a design for it. So then the guys get together and they get all the steel and leather and bits and pieces of nuts and bolts and whatever else they use to make cars. And after months of production and miles on the production assembly line, out the end of the factory pops a brand new 1963 Corvette Stingray. It has become what it was designed to be. So the sense that the, the, the completed idea, it was finished there, but it was also becoming what it was designed to be. So it was an already, but a not yet. And when it was finished, the two became, came together. And you had a completed design and a completed product. In the case of us with Christ being filled up to all the fullness of Christ, we, in Christ we have received it. But we're also in the process of being filled up to all the fullness of God. Think of it this way also. Positionally, we have a position in Christ. We have received of the fullness of Christ. God sees us as fully transformed into little Christs. He sees us if, as if the process of being filled up is fully done and finished. The moment we trust Christ, he sees us as in Christ, that work completed. Practically, we are being filled up. So there's also there's like an eternity concept where, where God sees everything in time as in a moment. So he sees the finished work from the beginning. But in a practical sense, in time and space like now, here, we are being filled up to all the fullness of God. So then... The question is, what are these shareable properties of God that we're being filled up in respect to? And here's a few of them. We'll look at them in the property of God, the property in Christ, and then the property we're being filled up to. So first of all, in John, 1 John 4, verse 8, God is love. He is love. In John 13, 34, sorry, John 13, verse 1, the Bible says Jesus Christ loved his own to the very end. What was the extent of Christ's love we saw a couple weeks ago? That Jesus Christ paid the highest price, his suffering and his death, to obtain our greatest good, which is eternal life. He loved us. God is love. Jesus Christ is love. And in John 13, 34 and 1 John 2, 5, we are to love one another. That shareable property of God is love. That's why Paul says that you may grasp the, with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that you may be filled up to all the properties. Listen, we're being filled up to all the fullness of God's love. We receive of it and we extend it to others. The wonderful truth of the Christian life, listen, is that we're to love one another, and God supplies the love with which we're to do that. So when they look at us, and they see a love that is unnatural between two of us as believers, because if it weren't for the Lord Jesus Christ, I could not love some of you people. And don't laugh, because if it wasn't for the Lord, you could never love me, right? It's just not going to happen. That's a God love right there and there. <laughs> Wendy's laughing her head off. That's good. 
It's God's love that enables us to love one another. It's God's love that enables us to love our enemies. It's God's love that enables us to love Him and love our neighbor as ourselves. He is sharing that property. He is filling us up with that property of God. What an awesome God that we have. He calls us to do the impossible then supplies everything we need to do it. Amen. 1 Peter 5.10, God is the God of all grace. In John 1.14, the disciples beheld the Lord Jesus Christ full of grace and truth. In Romans 12 verse 3 and 2, Chronicle, 2 Corinthians sorry, 1 verse 12, we are to act and speak in grace towards each other with God's grace. We're to behave one another towards one another in grace. But it's not grace that so we have to somehow sum it up by ourselves. He gives us that grace. He pours it out in our hearts that we might know Him and respond to each other in grace. Second Chronicles, no, not Second Chronicles. Yeah, Second Chronicles twenty nine eleven. The Bible says that God possesses power. He is omnipotent. He has all power. In First Corinthians one verse twenty four, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the power of God. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus promised to clothe us with power. In Acts 2, verse 4, the coming of the Holy Spirit clothed the disciples with the power of God. In Ephesians 1, 19, what does Paul pray? That we would know the surpassing greatness of God's power at walk towards us. In Ephesians 3, 16, what's he pray? That we be strengthened with power. We receive of God's power to strengthen us, to know Him, to love Him, to live this life. You think you make it one split second in this Christian life without the power of God at work towards you? And the answer is no way. It's impossible. This Christian life is an impossible life. Get that through here. But the love and the grace and the wonder of our God as He gives us everything that we need to live this life. He gives us, He fills us up with those shareable properties of God, including love and power and grace and other ones that we might live this life which is impossible to live without it. So how, why should we pray this for each other? Could we not pray anything better? There is nothing better to pray. Lord, fill them up with your properties. Give them more of the property of love. Give them more grace. Give them more power. To, you see a brother and sister struggling to live the life of faith. We plead with God. Give them the power to live. Give them more. Give them more. How much, what better prayer could we pray for each other to get through our day? Look, we all struggle. Some of us more than others. Some of us ride waves of struggle and difficulty and you, seem to, you just see them and you hear their stories and you think, my goodness, are they never going to get beyond that? Are they never going to get to the, the, the floating and the wonderful, blissful existence? But the reality is, like the story of Charles Wesley that Poovan was sharing, it's in those deepest, darkest moments. The pressure is on. 
that God fills us up with his love and his grace and his power to live it and the lights go on and we begin to understand something of what it means to truly know the Lord. There is grace, there's love, there's power. In Romans 16, verse 7, the Bible says that God is the only wise God. In Job 9, verse 4, the Bible says that God possesses wisdom and might. In 1 Corinthians 1, 24, again, Jesus is called the wisdom of God. In 2 Peter 3, 15, Paul writes according to the wisdom given to him by God. In James 3, 13 to 18, it describes the wisdom that we receive when we ask of it from God. And he promises to give it if we ask without doubting. We receive God's wisdom. He fills us up with his wisdom to live this life pleasing to him. God's wisdom, we live not just for our own benefit... Not so people can say, wow, look at that guy over there. He's a Christian. Look how wise he is. They look at that and say, wow, look at that guy. He's wise, but that wisdom only comes from God. It's not him. It's God. Look at Uncle Jack and you say, Uncle Jack is a wonderful guy. He is. He's a godly guy. He's a godly guy. His love is God's love. His wisdom is God's wisdom. His grace is God's grace on his life. He's still growing. He's still learning in, in his 80s now. And he's still growing and he's still learning more. He's still being filled up to all the fullness of God. In Exodus 15, verse 11, God is majestic in holiness. In Isaiah 6, God is thrice holy. His glory fills all the earth. In Mark 1.24, what does the demon-possessed man say? You're the Holy One of God. He recognizes him as having holiness. That is God's holiness. In 1 Peter 1.16, we are commanded to be holy as he is holy. There is no inherent holiness in any of mankind. Men and women must be filled up with respect to the holiness of God, to be holy as God is holy. We receive of God's holiness to live this life pleasing to Him and to reflect and display God to the world around us and to each other. That's what happens when we get together as Christians, as Spirit-filled, God-loving Bible-saturated Christians, we begin to reflect what we know of Christ off on each other. And we're built up as we speak together, as we pray together, as we read the Word together. It's all about what God is doing in each of us, shining through us toward the other. So I learned something of Christ from Poovern, and he learned something of Christ from me. That's what fellowship is. Being filled up so we can reflect it out to others. Praying that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God's means. Sorry, I'm going to say it again and slower. Praying that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God means praying that God may increasingly and generously supply us and fill us with the shareable attributes or properties of God, which are true of God in infinite measure. It's asking God to do what he's promised to do. It's asking God to make us what we already positionally are. We are in Christ. 
He sees the work as done. We're pleading with God to finish that work. Because he sees us as the work done, that's why he can promise in Philippians 1 verse 6, I'm the confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will finish it. Because he already sees it as finished. And so we're joining with Paul. We want to join with Paul and say, Father, fill us up to all the fullness of God. So that's what the fullness of God is. How are we being, how is it happening? How are we being filled up with the fullness of God? And I would say this, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us to fill us up to all the fullness of God. Listen, in Luke 4 verse 1, Jesus Christ is described as full of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1.13, the Bible says that the moment we're saved, we're sealed, we're stamped, we're branded with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts 13 verse 52, the disciples were continually filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way in which we're being filled up to all the fullness of God is by the work of the Spirit. How is it that we can be filled? Being filled is not an action that you do or I do. How does that work? He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled. It's like saying, don't drink wine, but get punched. How do I, how do I get punched? Well, I have to get somebody to punch me. So I ask some, I'll ask Con, can you punch me? And he relishes this idea, rolls up his sleeve, gets a good warm up and lets me have it. But you see, it's a passive verb, meaning what? Meaning I receive the action. So Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled. So we say, well, how is it that I can receive an action such as being filled with the Holy Spirit? We know we're sealed, branded with the Holy Spirit the moment we're saved. That never goes away. But we are to be filled throughout this life. Jesus said it this way, his own words. Luke 11, verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much greater? He's saying, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? When was the last time in prayer you pleaded with God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? Just to set a few troubled minds at rest, I am not talking about charismatic craziness. Forgive me for saying that. I don't mean barking in the Spirit and some of the other... I'll say it, heretical and borderline blasphemous things that are done in the name of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the biblical filling of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do the work and live the life that God has called us to live. We're filled with the Holy... It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The work of the Holy Spirit in us is to transform us into Christ's image, to bring forth fruit that is Christ-like. The Spirit of God brings forth fruit which is love. That's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Yes, it is a fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So the Spirit of God works in us to mediate and fill us up with those shareable properties and attributes of God that we might love each other. That's the work of the Spirit of God. 
that we might have grace with each other. I'm not a very gracious person, in case you didn't know. Some of you are starting to figure that out by now, but I'm not. And when I respond in grace to somebody, that's not Nelson, that's the Holy Spirit working through me. Because my natural reaction to certain things as a carpenter with a bit of Irish background in him way back when is to, you know, to jump, swing first, ask questions later. But when I respond slowly and graciously, that's an unnatural response to me. And the fruit of the Spirit, listen, it is not something that you work hard and practice to get better at. Oh, just, I'll be so loving. It is. Okay, I'll come back to that in a second. But it is. I'm not loving towards Khan just because I'm, I summon up all my love and I give it to Khan. It's the work of the Spirit of God in me, filling me up with God's love so I can love him as Christ loved him. And he can love me as Christ loved me. Right? It's a work of the Spirit of God in us. The Spirit of God brings forth the fruit of grace in our lives He's called in Zechariah 12, verse 10, the spirit of grace and supplication. In Hebrews 10, verse 12, he's again called the spirit of grace. We're saved by a work of the Holy Spirit in us who pours out the grace of God on us. Paul prays in almost every letter at the beginning, grace and peace be yours. He's not just saying it as a casual greeting. It's actually a prayer. He's praying that grace and, and peace may be yours. May God give you grace and peace. May God use the Spirit of God to pour out in your lives and fill you up with grace so that you can respond to one another and the world around you in grace, knowing the deep peace of God. The Spirit of God gives, gives us a measure of power to accomplish His will. In Micah 3, verse 8, the prophet says, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord. How do we get through this life? What power do we need to live, to keep going day after day, one foot in the other, living this Christian life? Our own strength? Not a chance. It's the Spirit of God who gives us the power of God to live I had a speech impediment for years as a kid. I could stammer and stutter. Any kind of nervous situation, like, say, preaching in front of a large crowd, it would just go berserk. I could barely talk. How is I can preach? Because I practiced? I did, but not, that's not how I preach. I can preach because the work of the Spirit of God in me gives power to accomplish that work for God. One of the things that convinces me this is what God has called me to do is that point. God will give you the power of God to accomplish the things He calls you to do. You think, I could never go out and witness to people in the street. We watched last Saturday morning as God did a work in one of us, so afraid to go out, so timid. I was walking down the street with George. We're going this way, and I could see on the far side of this road this other person walking the other way. And I just see her dive off and she's handing tracks to people and she's talking to people. And I'm thinking, wow, she was so timid like 45 minutes ago. How is that? Because all of a sudden she just kind of sucked up some courage and went and did it. No, because the power of the spirit of God gave her the power to accomplish the work of God at that moment. 
Listen, the Spirit of God works to make us holy. The Spirit of God works in us to point us to Christ. The Spirit of God works in us to convict us of sin and enable us to put off the old man. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts and encourages us to put on the new man, renewed in knowledge. It is the Holy Spirit who is the agent working on behalf of God the Father and God the Son to make us like Christ. How are we being filled up with respect to all the fullness of God? It's a work of the Holy Spirit within us. A work in which we must submit to. And the third question is this. Why must we be filled up to the fullness of God? Why? Why can't we just settle for a casual relationship with God? Because you were designed and created for something infinitely greater. God saved us as individuals. He in love tore away the blindfold of sin that we might see how sinful we are. And he showed us at the very same moment the love and justice of God that demanded a payment for sin. He provided a substitute to take our place, dying on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He washed us clean in his blood. That was his love. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit. Why did he do all that? Just so we could feel better about ourselves? No. No, a thousand times no. He did that so we could have eternal home away from hell? Yeah, He did it for that reason, but that's not the main reason by any stretch. God has saved us to each be with Christ and each be like Christ. Two primary reasons why God saved us. Number one, we're saved to be transformed into Christ's image. God is working to change us all from the inside out to be little Christ. He's working to change us from the inside out by filling us up with respect to all those shareable properties of God. He saved us to be holy because Christ is holy. He saved us to be loving because Christ is loving. He saved us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and our neighbors and our enemies. He saved us to be gracious to others because that's how Christ responded. What did the disciples say? We beheld, we saw His glory. The glory is of the only begotten, the Father full of grace and truth. He saved us to be merciful as Christ is merciful. He saved us to live in the fear of the Lord as Christ lived in the fear of God. God saved us to be filled with the Holy Spirit <clears throat> as Christ was lived. Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry. He saved us to be filled with the Holy Spirit as Christ was. He saved us to be clothed with power as Christ was. And He saved us to be just like Christ. He is making us like Christ. He's filling us up in the inner man with respect to those properties. Let me ask you a question. because A message like this comes along with a very heavy warning. We're being filled, which means we're changing. We're changing because we're growing. If we are not seeing a steady change or growth of ourselves into the image of Christ, there is very good reason to doubt that there has truly been a work of grace in your life. One of the things that Jesus did after he preached the gospel, where he'd often stop and issue a harsh and heavy warning about failing to take heed to what he had said about testing ourselves, 
Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, if there is no change in your life as the days and the weeks and the months go by, there is probably no life. A seed goes in the ground, it dies and begins to push out a root and push up a stem, a stalk that comes up. Some, I was telling some of you, we have, Brady planted a, a beautiful vegetable garden. We were eating these great, big, wonderful cucumbers off of his vegetable patch. We were away on holidays for two weeks. When we came back, the change in his garden was like stunning. <laughs> All of a sudden, leaves everywhere and big cucumbers showing up. Growth and change. If you're not sure, I plead with you before God, take stock of your life. Do you see change from last year to day? Are you the same person that was coming to Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church on February the 18th, 2017, as you are today? No change, no growth is a very good sign that there is no life. Are you and I growing in Christ's likeness? Are you and I, I, I have to challenge myself. Do I see change in me that tells me that there's real life there? If you're not sure, plead with God for help. Open the scriptures and begin to read and ask God to show you. Reason number two, I must be filled up to all the fullness of God is that we are in a church for the growth and fellowship of the local church. God has saved us and called us into a new community of believers. We saw it in chapter 2 of Ephesians. God is making the new community of believers into one new man. What are we going to see in in chapter 4? Therefore, the prison of the Lord, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. If we're not being filled up, to all the fullness of God, how are we going to do what he calls us to do all the way from chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 6 and verse 24? It's impossible. Paul has spent three chapters building this great doctrinal statement, this great truth about our salvation and what he is doing in us. He pauses in the middle point to pray. He concludes his prayer that we would be filled up to all the fullness of God. So as he starts to take us through the practical side of it, how we live this life, we have to have that happening first. How are we as a church going to love each other the way that Christ loved us so that those outside the door will see us and say, that's different. That isn't a religious group getting together to do some crazy stuff on a Sunday morning for a couple hours to tick a box. God is in those people. How? By being filled up to all the fullness of Christ. Each of us individually so that when we come together and fellowship together, we can love each other the way that God designed us to. And have that sort of fellowship that God designed us for. God desires us to be a tight-knit fellowship of believers, sharing and reflecting Christ to and with each other. If we come together and on Sunday morning all we can talk about is footy and cars and weather and jobs, go to an RSL. Go to a local coffee shop. You can talk with anybody about those things. But brothers and sisters, when we get together on Sunday morning, And we're face to face with each other. 
what ought to stand up and shout out as loud as possible is that we are in Christ. There is something different about us because we have Christ in us and our fellowship is on that basis. And the work of God in us to change us, to make us more like Christ, isn't just so that I can be more like Christ. It's so that I can reflect it to Robin and he can reflect it to me. So his life becomes a challenge to my life and teaching and encouragement and wisdom as I I learn about Christ from him and, and the same in return. The problem, the problem with our churches today, as we have become little individual Christ that are scattered out everywhere. And when we come together, all we have in common is jobs and weather and other junk. We need to be together as a body of Christ. We desperately need that fellowship because that's what God designed. The way He designed us to be built up and equipped to go back out into the world and deal with a world who wants to know nothing about God. We need this for those reasons. So what do we do? How do do we respond to a message like this? Too often preachers, including me, stand up and tell you everything you're supposed to know and what you're supposed to be doing and don't tell you how to do it. If I get into the habit of that, yank me on the shoulder and say, man, stop telling us what, tell us how. Okay, it's important. How do we respond to this? Number one, pray. (laughs) Pray, 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 and pray more. Pleading the power of God in each other's lives. Pray for Christ to fill us all up to the knowledge, sorry, the fullness of God, so we're changed in the image of Christ. If I pray that for you and you pray that for me and we are all being filled up, we're pleading with God to do what He's promised to do. He doesn't delight in anything more than to give us what He's promised to give us. It's like, I've got it here. Plead with me. Okay, and He gives. We pray. We pray because it's a work of the Spirit of God in us, but it's also a cooperative work. So remember I said a while ago, so we don't strive to be more loving? That's only partially true. We do strive to be more loving. We strive to love with the love that Christ has given us. See, the Bible says this in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, For it is God in you... Working, sorry, is God is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. What does that mean? It means that any desire you have in your heart and your mind to do something to grow like Christ, guess who put it there? It wasn't you, sorry to say. It was God working in you. So when I have a desire, and some of you are feeling that desire in your heart that you want to be more like Christ, you want to be more loving, so you try and be loving. That desire is put there by God, so you begin to do what you can do. At the very same time, God begins to work in you to fulfill it. But God doesn't walk up to Con and just go, reprogram, okay, there he is, off he goes, love. No, Con and the Lord work together. There's a desire put there, and Khan takes the tiniest step forward to fulfill that desire, and the power of God, the Spirit of God, works in him to carry it out. But if I push back, no, I don't want to do that. And the Spirit of God waits. You say, this is sovereignty and free will thing banging around again. How does it work? I don't know. 
But I do know this. I know it does work. Because I feel that drawing to open the Word of God and read. And my natural man has every, has a list 50 points long. Well, you know you need to walk the dog. Oh, I don't have a dog. You, you, know, you, you know you need to uh, go to the office. You need to change the tire in the car. You need to do this and this. All these lists of things, my natural man will pop up to stop me from doing what I, I know I'm supposed to do. What that drawing in my heart is. When I push that natural hindrances aside and I go to the Word of God, guess what? God begins to speak. I respond to the desire that's in my heart and I agree with it and I obey it. And as I do, God gives me the strength to carry the work through and do what He calls me to do. It's a cooperative work, which means we pray and we also submit to the work of the Spirit of God in us. You ever been somewhere as a Christian and you felt this urge that you need to go and talk to somebody on a park bench? Or maybe you need you see a brother coming down the street and there's been tension between you and him and you're thinking, you know, I'll just duck into this other shop and I won't see them go by and I won't have to face him or talk to them. But the Spirit of God says, go talk to him. You ever somewhere where something similar that happens? You have a drawing to read the Word of God. You have a drawing in your heart to pray? You ever been doing something and you just felt the overwhelming urge of God inside you? You need to pray. Stop and pray, brother and sister. When you feel that drawing inside, you submit to it. You say, how do I know it's not the flesh? The flesh will never draw you to do something that God wants you to do. It'll draw you in the other direction every time. How do I know it isn't just you know uh, practice, habit? Well, a godly habit only comes from one place, so don't worry about it. Go with it. Do it. When you feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit in your life to be with other believers, go be with them because that's God's working in you to build you up, to strengthen you and encourage you. Pray and submit and strive in the power of the Holy Spirit to be Christ-like. Strive to put off sin and the old nature and the old man. Strive in the power of the Holy Spirit to put on the new man. The very desire you have there is from God. It doesn't, God, it doesn't come from anywhere else. Strive to love as Christ loved and so on. I'll say it before, I'll say it again. The fruit of the Spirit are those responses that you would not naturally do. So when the situation pushes me to be impatient, and instead I'm patient, that's the work of the Spirit of God. When the situation causes me or would naturally cause me to be fearful, but instead I know a joy and a peace in my heart, that's the work of the Spirit of God. Go back to love. It's the easiest one to show you. When the natural impulse in my heart is to respond with anger and bitterness and aggression, which I'm far too prone to do, and instead there is a love for that person, there is a quietness and a gentleness, then that's the Spirit of God bringing that fruit of love out in your life. Strive to love as Christ loved. Strive to bear the fruit of the Spirit. It is a cooperative work. You know what the last thing I would think we need to do? Is we pray and we submit and we strive, but we be amazed. 
be in awe of God who in magnificent grace, in love so amazing that we can't even begin to comprehend the heights of it. Why does Paul use such great words? He says um, that they may be able to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and depth. He doesn't mean that you're actually going to get your arms around it. He just means it's so big that as far as you stretch your arms to know and grasp the love of Christ, you just can't. So we be amazed that God in magnificent grace and love saved us. He gave us of the fullness of Christ and He is working in us to fill us up to all the fullness of God. Not just so that we can be like Christ, but that we can be like Christ to each other. I don't know about you, but that just makes me stand back and go, what an amazing God we have. What an awesome God who loved us that much. Who wants us to be like His Son. To think He took wretches like you and me, paid the penalty for our sin, washed us clean, fed us with His Word, filled us with His Spirit, put us in a group where we could be encouraged and built up and strengthened in our faith so that we could each take what we know of Christ and reflect it to the other. What an amazing God. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Loving Father, we come before you again as a company of your people. Father, we are amazed that you have saved us. You have washed us clean. Father, you have given the Lord Jesus Christ to pay a penalty that we could never pay, a penalty which he did not owe. And Father, we think about the words of Wesley's song, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's love who died for me? There is a line, Father, in that song that says that we pursued Him to death. Father, our sin was so great But Father, we rejoice. We stand before you in quietness. And we rejoice and we give thanks and we worship from the bottom of our hearts that even though our sin is so great, stacked up against us, yet your grace was even greater. Grace greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Father, to know that you didn't just save us to keep us at a distance. You didn't just save us so that we could be saved and going to heaven and saved and knowing something of Christ. You saved us with a point of taking of your shareable attributes and properties and filling us up to all the fullness of them, that we might be like Christ. Father, it staggers our minds. 
to think that we have been given of the love of God, that we have been given of the grace of God. And Father, every single thing that we do for you, we do it in the power that you give. And Father, we thank you so much that that is the case because the glory can then be yours, not ours. Father, the words of Paul in the next verse is, To him who is able to do far more exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, it is our desire that his would be the glory for the work that he is doing. Father, a challenge about growth and life put forward this morning. Father God, I plead with you that if there are some in this room that are beginning to take a mental tally of growth or the lack of it, Father, I plead with you that you would do a work in their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would highlight to them whether or not there is truly a work of grace. Father, if there is no work of grace, then draw them, pull them in close, gather them to yourself, O God, we plead, that they might know what it is to be truly born again, to live that life. Father, we cry out to you again for this church, Noble Park Baptist Church. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have gathered us from the all corners of the world, Lord and brought us to fellowship in this place. Father, you know that each of us has a ministry to perform here. Not music or Sunday school, Lord, that sort of thing, but a ministry to share and reflect Christ to each other in all parts of life. Lord, we pray that you would bring revival into this place, that the love of Christ might be refreshed in our hearts, that our submission to him, that our putting off of the old man, the old sinful habits, the hindrances and things that are stopping us from running with him, walking close to him. Father, we plead with you for help. We plead with you, O God, like that woman. Lord, I keep thinking of her who banged on the judge's door asking for his judgment in this parable. Father, I pray we're going to keep praying, Lord, and keep asking Oh God, till in a sense the heavens are opened and revival comes down like a flood and the power of the Spirit of God, fueled by preaching and fueled by prayer, to change the lives of men and women for your glory. Father, we ask you these things. We plead with you, O oh God, for them. Father, as we leave now, we pray, O oh God, that you would part us and dismiss us with your blessing. And we give thanks, O oh God, again for a time in worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.